Let's pray. Father, I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come in this place. Father, I truly thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to speak from your word. Father, these are a great people. And Father, I pray that this time would not be wasted, but the truth would come forth to strengthen hearts and to strengthen lives. Father, pour out a blessing from your Holy Spirit, I pray, and touch each heart here. Father, there are some that are particularly going to be dealing with the things that I'll be speaking about. Father, I pray for your life to be a redeeming force in their lives. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Luke chapter 23, continuing on the topic of the cross, Jesus has said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And so often, it is easy to miss the forgiveness of God. So the message today is learning to walk in God's forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you today, we're going to start with a portion in in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to start with this because it's the message that tells us to keep open hearts regarding what God might have for us. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the days of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, And they did not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So you see, the portion starts out, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If I touch on something that you may be dealing with, I ask you, do not harden your hearts. The Word of God asks you, do not harden your hearts, but keep an openness to what God may have. The main text for today is going to come out of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12, talking from the life of David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, what had happened was David had seen a woman that was attractive to him. David already had about a dozen or so wives and maybe another dozen or so concubines. But he saw a woman that attracted him. And he ended up taking that woman and he ended up raping her. Many movies portray Bathsheba as walking as a seductress. That is not true. The Word of God never teaches that. And in fact, Bathsheba was raped by David. Bathsheba is referred to in the Scriptures as a lamb, a little lamb. Bathsheba is the one that the Lord chose of all of David's wives to bring forth the fruit that would ultimately lead to our Lord Jesus Christ. So David raped a woman, and then to cover up the offense, he had her husband killed. And so you see in in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, verse 2, 
Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David was getting kind of antsy one night. He had established his kingdom. And it wasn't quite enough for him. And he was looking off his roof and he saw a woman bathing. And if you, I've been to that area of Israel and in fact you can see the hill on which this, this, uh, this house of David was built. And it was higher than every other point in that little city at the time. And he had the opportunity to look down right into the compound of many people around and he happened to see this woman Bathsheba. And he inquired about her. He said... He said, who is that woman? And other men understand men. And his servants understood what was going through David's heart. So when they spoke to him, they said, Oh, that? That is Bathsheba. That is the daughter of Eliam. Well, who is Eliam? Eliam, if you look in in the last chapter of 2 Samuel, just near the end, the second to last chapter, talks about Eliam. Eliam was one of David's mighty men. Very well known to David. He also knew Eliam because Eliam was the son of Ahithophel, his trusted counselor. So David's close counselor. David's trusted mighty man. This was the mighty man's daughter, the granddaughter of Ahithophel, the counselor. And he says that is the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite underscoring to him, this is another man's wife. And not a man that's unknown to you, but a man that's very well known. Uriah is another one of David's mighty men who was out fighting his battles. So this woman was well known to David through the associations that David had. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. Many will argue the woman didn't cry out. How could she cry out? This is the king. He could have her life in a moment. It says, it never says that she lay with him. It says that he lay with her. And he took her. She did not willingly come. The poor woman was subjected to much at the hands of this man. And this man then went on and he couldn't cover it up. And the man Uriah turned out to be an extremely righteous man. And so he had Uriah, her husband, killed. Verse 14 of chapter 11. Now in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. David set up the husband to be killed because Bathsheba had become pregnant and he went to cover it up. Verse 26. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. You see that 
God knew everything that was going on. There was absolutely nothing that was hidden from the face of God. Absolutely nothing. God knows every one of our thoughts, every one of our looks, every glance we make, He knows. And He sent a prophet named Nathan to David. In verse chapter 12, verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came and he said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. And it would eat his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. You see, what Nathan did is he didn't immediately confront David head-on with the situation. He transferred it to another situation. This is not a bad lesson to learn. When you instruct your children to take something that they're going through and relate it to another situation that's different, yet analogous to what they're going through, and then often they can see it more clearly and then bring them back to their own situation. Then bring the analogy together for them. And so David was enraged at this rich man who would take some poor man's little ewe lamb rather than to take from his own flocks. And David, who was judge and king, said, David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it is I who anointed you over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added more things like these. Why have you despised the Lord by doing this evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. So he confronted David in this way. David said, the man deserves to die, and he shall make restitution fourfold. It is interesting that in David, he lost four sons to murder. Four sons. Every day that David woke up, he did not know whether another son of his was going to die that day. He had proclaimed fourfold restitution as the scriptures had commanded him to do. And that is what he got. Four of his sons died. One was murdered by another one of his sons shortly after this event. Two other sons were murdered during David's lifetime. And the last son was murdered immediately after David's death. So David, every day of his life, he didn't know when another son was going to die. There was great pain in his life from these events. When David was confronted by sin, this is what we want to underscore today. What is the mechanism out? There are times when a man will commit a gross sin. For example, adultery that can absolutely destroy his marriage and his life, or a woman will fall into adultery, or a man will make decisions that greatly affect his life, 
how do we recover? What is the road to recovery? Is it the end or is there a road to recovery? And I ask you, when you hear the word of God, do not harden your heart as so many do and their lives never recover. There is recovery always in Christ. David says in verse 13 of chapter 12, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that's born to you shall surely die. This was the first child that was going to die. This one was going to be by the hand of God himself. And after this there were three others. It was the second son died by murder from from another one of David's sons. This was the first child to die. David immediately took responsibility. When confronted with his sin, he said, I have sinned. Our immediate feeling when we have committed sin is, it is somebody else's fault. If my wife only took care of me and did her duty, I would not have fallen into adultery. If my husband only cared for me properly and treated me decently, I would not have fallen into adultery. Immediately, we want to pass the blame. And David said, I have sinned. He never blamed anyone else. He never blamed the walls around Bathsheba's home being too low. He never blamed Bathsheba for her beauty. He said, I have sinned. That is the first step in the road to recovery. I have sinned. That we acknowledge that we sin. If we do not acknowledge that we sin, we have no mercy because we refuse mercy. And that is the only way to be without forgiveness, is that we refuse to acknowledge that we sin. The second thing that he did, he repented. Repenting means turning from the direction that you were going. Confession without repentance does very little. There must be repentance. Many men will be exposed in their sin and they'll say, yeah, you know, I'm real sorry about that. But there is no follow through. Confession must be coupled with repentance. In the book of Acts, it says that that when Peter preached, he told them to confess their sins, to repent, to turn. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. That's Matthew 3, 8. In Acts 26, 20, it says, Perform deeds appropriate to repentance. So in the New Testament, it speaks multiple times that with repentance comes acts commensurate with true repentance. And if you have never fallen into a deep sin... I urge you to listen, because one day you might. There is recovery, but immediately when we are confronted, there must be confession and repentance. Now look at the acts of repentance that that he did. He immediately cared for the ones that he had hurt. Then the Lord struck the child, this is in verse 15, that Uriah bore that Uriah's widow bore to David. Interestingly, God never refers to her as David's wife. 
he refers to her as Uriah's widow. He did not acknowledge the earlier marriage, the, 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 the second marriage. He refers to her as the Uriah's widow. He struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay, on, lay all night on the ground. Then the elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and he would not eat food with them. You see what he did. He began to pray for those he had hurt. Man, if you have damaged your family through your acts, if you have a problem with pornography and you are bringing that problem into your home, whether you know it or not, you must repent. Confess your sin and turn and repent. Repentance means turning. And you do deeds, we are to do deeds commensurate with repentance. That is what we are told to do. And what David did is he began to pray for those he had hurt. He began to cry out to God for that child. Even though God said that child would die, David thought maybe God would relent. That God would relent and turn And he cried out and he fasted and he prayed all night. We ought to learn to fast. Jesus said, when you fast, when you pray, there was an assumption there that we fast, not if you fast and if you pray, but when you fast, when you pray. This is what we are supposed to be doing. We fast and we pray. And we cry out for those that we hurt. And he would not get up from the ground and eat. Verse 18, Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For, he said, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to the servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. Then he came into his own house, and he requested, and they set food before him, and he ate. David lay on the ground for multiple days, fasting and praying for those he had hurt. This is what we do. This is the road to recovery. Your marriage is not too far gone. I say, hold on. God can restore. But are we willing to walk through this? Are we willing to walk through this? There are things that we take on in our life that affect our families, that affect our jobs and our careers, and they bring pain in our lives. There is a road to recovery. Are we willing to walk that road? It starts with confession, then goes to repentance, where we cry out to God for the ones we have hurt. And then David arose from the ground. He washed. He anointed himself. He got on with the matters of life. And he changed his clothes. He came into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. 
He came into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. He did not separate himself from the people of God or from the worship of God, which is the common feeling we get when we have committed some gross sin. We want to separate ourselves. And the scriptures say to us that in Proverbs 27, verse 8, as a bird strays from a nest, so is a man who strays from his home. There is not recovery in running from your home, O man. There is not recovery from leaving your home, O woman. There is not recovery. It is like a bird straying from their nest. You will be blown away. You will have no place to lay your head. You will not have peace. You know, some men think if I could only get that woman then, then I would really be happy. Let me tell you that you know No misery, like the misery of longing for something and getting that very thing and seeing that it brings you no peace. Many men will long for another woman, and then when they get that woman, they will find that this woman is a tyrant. And that is misery indeed. Happiness comes by obeying the things of God. That is where satisfaction comes. David was confronted by this. He did not separate himself from God or from the people of God. He went to the house of God and he worshipped. He could have prayed to God and in his own home. Oh, I'll just stay home and pray. I don't want to go to that church. You separate yourself from the church and you make the road to recovery impossible. Impossible. And many men want to stray from the church and think, I don't need that. You need it. I need it. Face it. We need it. This is what the scriptures say. And God knows better than we do. And after he had come into the house and worshipped, he came to his own house. He did not leave. He did not run away. He came back to his own house. And then in verse 21, Then his servant said to him, What is this thing you've done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But the child, when dead, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now that he's died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David well understood the resurrection. That he was going to return to this child that this child was alive in God's bosom. He well understood the resurrection. And if you have ever lost a child, let this give you hope that you will return to this child. You will return to this child. Then David, in verse 24, comforted his wife. Look at what the man did. He comforted his wife Bathsheba. Now the scriptures refer to her as David's wife. Never until this point did the scriptures refer to her as David's wife. David took her to be his wife, but God never referred to her as that until he had dealt with this issue of confession and repentance. He comforted the ones that he had hurt. Men, we need to learn to comfort our wives. The pain that Christian men put their wives through is absolutely enormous. 
I spoke recently at a, at a place and spoke on some issues of marriage and things that happen in marriage. And I've received calls and emails from people in that place saying, you hit it right on the head. This is where we are in our marriage. Constantly. I received a call from a woman just yesterday saying, you were right on. My husband has pornography all over his computer. And I confront him on it. He says, oh, it just, it just uh, uh, downloads automatically. It happens on everyone's computer. It does not. And she was so concerned. She said, we have a son. And look at what I'm dealing with. The pain that is there in Christian marriages. She said, I don't want to shame him. I don't want to shame him to the church. But I don't know what to do. Men, we need to learn to deal with things. If you want to save your marriage, you can. You may say, well, I'm on the verge of divorce anyway. Or the woman has filed for divorce. Well, stop the filing. You say, well, I spent a bunch of money on lawyers already. You know, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, it talks about a, na- a king named Amaziah. And Amaziah hired some other men from outside the, the Judeans to come and fight with him. And a prophet came to Amaziah and said, set those soldiers to go, because if you use them, God will never bless you. Your own army can handle this fight. And he said, but what about all the money that I have spent, the hundred talents of silver that I have spent? He says, you let it go. God has much more than that for you. Cut your losses now. And he did, and God delivered him. And so even if you spent a lot on lawyers trying to go through with this divorce, cut it off now. Just cut your losses now. God has much more riches for you. There is a road to recovery. David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet And he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. He did not cut off his relationship with his family, with the church, the house of worship, or with God's people. He maintained his relationship to Nathan, the one who had even confronted him in his sin. If the church confronts us, let us not cut off our relationship with them. It is not an easy thing for the church to confront and to deal with these issues. Don't cut off your relationship. This is the road to recovery from sin. And there is recovery. You say, well, I don't want to undergo that shame. Well, David knew shame. You say, well, he was the king. Nobody's going to bother him. I'm telling you, the more you are in the limelight, the more shame will be heaped upon you for your sin. The more well-known you are, the more newspaper articles will be written about it. The more shame you will bear. If you look in Psalm chapter 3, the beautiful thing about David is that you can see the very prayers that he was praying when he was going through different situations. And in Psalm chapter 3 is when he was running from his son Absalom. His son Absalom had killed another one of David's sons. And he was running from Absalom. He says in Psalm chapter 3, verse 1, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. 
Many are saying of my soul, there is no, many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. You see the mocking that he went through, the shame that he carried, where people said of him, oh, God's never going to deliver him now. Look at the sin he's done. David's sin was proclaimed from his own rooftop, literally. And there is shame that we bear. And David, in the midst of the shame, he continued to walk with God. And that's why it cries out repeatedly in the Scriptures and even into the New Testament. David was a man after God's own heart. How can God call an adulterer and a murderer a man after his own heart? Because as David writes, as far as the east is from the west, he has cast our sin from us. He has separated our sin from us. And he remembers our transgression no more. We well remember it, lest we forget from where we have come. But God remembers it no more when there has been repentance and confession. And we need to walk through the steps. If you've fallen into the sin of adultery, there are steps in counseling. Years of counseling we must subject ourselves to. It is not something that is done away with rapidly. But restoration can come. And David walked those years in, of, of, of misery because of the things that he had done. Yet he never lost sight of God. And that is the key. We are not delivered from all the situations that we will have to encounter as a result of our sin. But the grace remains. And then he proclaims in Psalm chapter 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, the glory and the one who lifts my head. You are the one who lifts my head. And when we, when we fall into great pain and into great sin, there is a God who can take this head of ours that just hangs and weeps and lift it if we would allow him to. You know, some of you here understand exactly what I am talking about. You know, I've, I've seen recently, because this issue came up, sometimes the easiest way to not to have to deal with a message is to discredit the messenger. Someone said of me recently, well, don't really have to listen because he doesn't have any religious training. I have no masters of divinity. It's very easy to dismiss the messenger. But remember, this is not my word. This is God's word to recovery. And we will not prove God wrong. Long after we are dead and gone, God's word will remain and will remain true. Others of you have never experienced what I'm talking about. I pray you keep your way pure and you keep your way right. I pray so. But there is a recovery in God. And that's what he has for us. I beg you to take these steps to recovery. Of confession. Of repentance. Of working with the church. Not denying the people of God. And never leaving your nest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. For the truth of your word, it is so true. 
I thank you, Lord, because the word of God will remain forever. And Father, I pray for those here who know this pain that David went through, that they, like David, could recover all, although it could take years as it did with David. I pray, Lord, that they would recover all and that you would lift their head and that they would take the steps that David took. Father, I thank you for the words of Jesus that said, Father, forgive them. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.